0: Well tonight we're considering or we're continuing our journey through the Apostles' Creed and I want to invite you to join me in the very last book of the Bible Revelation. Just go all the way to the end. Revelation has 22 chapters and flip back one chapter to Revelation chapter 21 and that's where we're going to be studying closely tonight. What do you think of when you think of heaven? I remember when my grandfather passed away quite a few years ago, having thoughts of him standing at the East Gate and welcoming people into heaven. And the reason I thought that is because he was the usher at the church I grew up in, in Arkansas. And so the natural relation from, or, or thought for me to think was like, he's probably doing the same thing there as he's doing here, welcoming people, come on into heaven. Here, we have a spot for you to sit right over here. Um, not sure if that lines up well with the Scripture as to what heaven is. But what do you think of when you think of heaven? A lot of people think about angels. They think about we go to heaven and we get our wings, and we get a harp, and we sit on a cloud, and we play the harp, and we just enjoy the celestial palace of God forever. We think of our loved ones who have died and gone before us of being with them one day. Maybe we wonder, I wonder if heaven's going to be very boring. We have very time-sensitive brains, and so when we start something, we want to kind of know how long it's going to last. So what if it's forever is a long time, but what if it stinks up there? We don't really like it. What if it's not as great as God said it was? I mean, there's only so much you can get from flying around on clouds. What is heaven really like? Well, I want us to get a picture of what heaven is truly like from Revelation chapter 21 and let that form our thoughts of heaven. So read with me, if you will. Follow along with me. The words will be on the screen for you as well. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, we're going to draw from these sections, or these scriptures in this section, seven facts about heaven. I chose seven because that's what I saw here. There's much more facts. This is not an all-encompassing list. There are many more things we know about heaven, but this is what we're going to study tonight to help us understand as we quote from memory, because you've all memorized the Apostles' Creed, I know. We just put it on the screen for the, for the new people here. You know, When we quote that and we say, and life everlasting, what is it that we are confessing that we believe in? Here are seven facts about life everlasting. Number one is this. There is a new heaven and new earth. A new heaven and new earth. So we've gone astray for the last few hundred years, and we've emphasized that heaven is this place that one day we will go to. And you've heard it, you've been taught it probably, and you've probably even told some other people that one day you hope to go to heaven. You may have even heard it said uh, when you were presented the gospel of Jesus. Well, I mean, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Or do you want to go to hell when you die? Well, the obvious answer for most people, I'm sure there are some who are rebellious in spirit and ready to take the hell challenge. But for the logical choice for most people is, of course, I would choose heaven over hell. What that does is lead us to make decisions that are very selfish in nature. It's like telling God, yeah, I'll follow you, but I'm basically just doing it because I don't want to burn forever. That's almost like asking a girl to marry her because, you know, of the two options I have, you're probably the best. Would that make you feel good, ladies? Let's get married because I'm kind of out of options here. Wow, what to sweep me off my feet, Romeo. That's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is not the fact that it's keeping us from escaping an eternity of hell. We don't hope either for heaven is a, as a place for us to escape the world that we know it today and fly off away to somewhere. There's actually a hymn that is sung in many churches that says, I'll fly away. That's the name of it. It says, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And it says, I'll fly away to God's celestial shore. And the only way that song would be really good to sing in church as if it were speaking as a metaphor. But I don't think it is, and I definitely know that people sing it don't take that as a metaphor. They take it as a literal flying away somewhere to heaven. But that's not what heaven is either. Life everlasting is not the burning away of the earth and the world as we know it. It's not it's dissolving into nothing and then us flying away somewhere else. But heaven and earth, or heaven is when heaven and earth come back and they merge. They're transformed into two, in, from two separate places to one beautiful place as God originally intended it when He created heaven and earth. Look with me in Revelation chapter 21, the f- first part of verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So we, so we see John, who is the... One who wrote this, he had the vision from God of heaven, and he wrote this down, and he saw a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth didn't dissolve into nothing. It was made new. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? The earth. He created things to work together. God dwelled on earth with mankind in the garden. He was walking with them. We were not created in the beginning to be separated from God. We were meant to dwell with him as is the only ones of of all God's creation that said we were made in God's image. We have a special relationship with him. But there was this rebellion and sin in our hearts that created a chasm, a separation unreachable for us between us and heaven. God didn't create this beautiful earth just to destroy it. But what he's going to do one day is renew it. Heaven is not the place where we go immediately when we die either. You may be thinking of paradise when Jesus is on the cross with, uh, well, by himself, but he's on the cross and there's a thief on either side of him. And one of them says, uh, confesses Christ as Lord. And he says, and Jesus says to the thief, one, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is this temporary place. Paradise literally means garden, a place of refreshing. So it's a heaven of sorts because heaven is. Uh, more than just our limited understanding of this place where we might go or where God is, but heaven is where God's will is being done. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, talks about the kingdom of heaven quite a bit. And it talks about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and being part of that kingdom. And it's a heaven of sorts, going back to paradise, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead, It's presence uh, when we die and we're in this presence of paradise, this garden, this heaven, if you will, with God. It is a place where God's presence is full, where we are refreshed, where we are safe and secure. But it's not the heaven that is spoken of when we talk about life everlasting. Life everlasting is, if you could put it this way, and, and you could, it's life after life after death. So there's this life after death, but then there's life after life after death, the resurrection and the new life that comes with that. We also see that uh, when heavens and earth merge that the new Jerusalem is going to to come down from heaven somehow. There's going to be a, a new Jerusalem, a new city, joining the two dimensions of earth and heaven forever. And now going to Matthew and the teaching of the kingdom of heaven throughout his gospel, it means belonging to the people who live their earthly lives by the standards and purposes of God's heaven. So we can join into the kingdom of heaven right now. We are part of God's kingdom of heaven when we choose to live our earthly lives right now based upon the standards and purposes of God's heavenly purposes, the ways that are above our earthly. When we do that, we know that we have become part of the membership of God's family as well. Incorporating Jesus into this teaching too, when he taught us how to pray, he didn't teach us to pray one day to go to heaven. He said, he taught them how to pray. And he said, uh, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he taught us to pray heaven down. Praying heaven down. God, have your heavenly rule and your reign established here on earth as it is in heaven. So the first thing is, Life everlasting isn't about going to heaven. Our hope isn't to go to somewhere. Our, heart, our hope is to be part of God's heaven. And we can do that right now. One day that is part of it as he merges heaven and earth together for a new heaven and new earth, never to be separated again. That's the first and the longest point. Okay? A new heaven and a new earth coming together. is life everlasting. That's living with God. Number two is this. When we're living with God, evil is extinct. This is great news. This might actually sound redundant because you think, duh, of course, in heaven, only good things and God things are going to happen. But it's a major emphasis for life everlasting. Life is no longer touchable by sin and death and evil because evil is extinct in the new heaven and new earth. There's no more chaos. There's rest. Look with me in the second part of Verse 1. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. A lot of times we read this and we say, Wow, there's not going to be an ocean in heaven? There's no more sea in heaven? What do we do with this? I really like the ocean. I, re- I actually do really like the ocean a lot. And so when I first saw this a few years back, I was like, I don't know if I really want to go to heaven. You know, heaven is where the ocean is. That's where God is. But here's what it's saying. It's a, it's a picture, a metaphor. What he's saying is the sea in the Bible has almost always, in every case, represented evil is what it represents. And it's saying in heaven there will no longer be any sea. Darkness is represented by the sea in Revelation throughout. It is represented in other books as well of the Bible. Jesus, if you remember, when he casted out all of the demons into the swine, the pigs, and all the pigs ran off the cliff into the sea, that was also a picture when they went into the sea of the demons being cast back to where evil was. And so there's no longer this representation of evil in heaven because the sea is untouchable. It doesn't mean no more waters in heaven, and new, the new heaven and new earth, which we're thankful, I'm thankful for, but it means that we are out of the reach of death and chaos. It can no longer touch you. We had a really cool experience uh, two days ago. We were eating upstate at a friend's house on the porch, and I literally, this is a true story, it sounds kind of weird or, or made up maybe but i was just talking with a family around the table and i said i wonder how many bears are in this area and my wife said well there's definitely bears i said yeah i know there are bears but i just wonder how many are in this area and i look over and there's a bear a black bear and it's across the street across the field into another field and it's walking down the edge and i'm like there's a bear I'm not even kidding. So I get up and I run over to the porch and we're looking. It's just, you know, walking down. I'm like, "Is that a, that, that can't be a bear. That's a bear. And all, we all rush over and it was, it, was, it was a bear, a black bear. And I was really, uh, we were amused by it. But there was no sense of fear at all with any of us. Why? It was a long way off. There's no way that bear was going to get us. We had plenty of time to get in the house. We were not afraid of that bear. It could not reach us. Evil is extinct in the new heaven and new earth. It can't touch you. You're going to be untouchable. There will be no fear of evil and death in the new heaven. What a wonderful place it's going to be. And bears won't be intimidating either. I'll just throw that in. Number three. Number one is new heaven and new earth. Number two is evil is extinct. Number three, this is probably the best one. God dwells among us. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell. Literally, this means he will tabernacle among us. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle of the temple in other places, and this was the holy place that you could only go to if you were holy. This is where God dwelled. And if you went in there and you weren't clean, guess what happened? You died. But it says God is going to dwell. Back in verse 3, He will dwell among them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them. God is going to live among us in such a powerful way that we are going to know His voice much more distinctly than we do now as recipients of His Holy Spirit. It is going to be amazing to see the loved ones that have passed away. It's going to be amazing to, to be part of a world where sin and death have no ability to touch us. It's going to be amazing not to have to worry about chaos and drama. It's, it's going to be so good. But the best part of heaven is that we're going to be dwelling with the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And we're going to be able to withstand that because he's going to have made us perfectly pure and holy. We are going to dwell with God. The best part of heaven is not seeing my grandpa. The best part of heaven is seeing my creator, my redeemer, my sustainer. We are going to be with him. God dwells among us in this new heaven. We live with him. Number four, God heals and comforts us. He heals and He comforts us. It wouldn't be very good to dwell with a God if He were a jerk, right? But this God is a God of healing and comfort with utter gentleness and kindness. In verse 4 of chapter 21 in Revelation, we see this. It says, and he, in speaking of God here, God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The things from the, the current earth that we are very well aware of have passed away. They're gone. They no longer remain. God will heal and comfort us with his very hands. Abdul Masara? Is that how you say his name? the tears of him, of him and his family are not going to be wiped away. This is, this is cool. All right. So I'm a pastor. So people come over here during the service after in a minute when we pray, and they say, will you pray for me? And I pray a blessing over them and, and, and uh, embrace God's forgiveness with them. That's wonderful. It's powerful. It's good. We should do that. You should do that with each other. Confess and uh, claim grace together. It's powerful. It's good. That's what the church does. But one day when we are in heaven, the new heaven and new earth, when we are with Him in life everlasting, God Himself is going to wipe away your tears. Your tears. All this big power of God is going to humble Himself and kneel down however He does it in some majestic way and He's going to tenderly wipe away the tears from our eyes. He's going to get rid of all the grief No more mourning, no more weeping, no more fasting. Wow. You're going to feel forgiven at that point. You may struggle with forgiveness now, but when the one that you're accountable to lifts you up, we're going to party, it's going to be good. We're going to live with God. He's going to heal us and comfort us. Let's go to number five. One of the best parts of this is God pays all the costs. What do I have to do to be part of God's heaven? What do I have to do to be part of this new heaven and new earth? Well, you have to realize that you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to to make yourself good enough to be part of this. But you have to realize that God pays all the costs. In chapter 1, verse 5, it continues. It says, And he who sits on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things. Can you say all things? things. I know you can. All things new. I am making all things new. And then he tells John, Write this down, for these are faithful and true. And then God said to John, He said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts. I I will give him from the spring of water of life, and I'll do it without cost. It is perfectly true for us to realize that to us, the gospel, the good news of forgiveness and reconciliation with God is free to us. But it's incomplete because it costs someone something. And the gospel tells us that that is... What Jesus did, he's the beginning and the end, and he paid for it all. He gave us this gift without cost to us, but it did come at a great cost to him. So this living with God, this life everlasting, God pays all the cost. Number six, we are full heirs of God. We are full heirs of God. So we're going to inherit this new heaven and new earth and and all the things that go along with it, we're going to inherit it not because we've you know hit the jackpot so to speak and we had an uncle who had an uncle who had an uncle and we finally figured it out but because we're going to be adopted as God's children it's much greater than having an uncle or a grandparent we are going to be his children look with me in verse 6 and then he said excuse me verse 7 he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his god and He will be my Son. As much as we can, we're going to be like Jesus. We look to His resurrected body, and we get a good picture of what our resurrected, our resurrected body will, will be like. But we'll never be the only begotten Son of God. That's reserved for him. We will never be the object of worship. But as far as his humanity goes, of being someone who is an heir of God, we have full rights as his children, as God's children, that we belong. We're not second tier. We belong. We are his children. We are full heirs of God. All of these things will become ours. And we have to keep going here because there's a lot to cover. But look with me in verse 7. Oh, excuse me, point number 7. Number 7 is this. Not all will live. In most of our narratives that we have in Hollywood, there is a, a story where everyone maybe lives happily ever after. That's our hope. But the Scriptures tell us that, that not everyone is going to be part of this new heavens and new earth. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, it says all these beautiful and powerful things, and it gets to this part, it says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We started off this by saying heaven is not where you would rather go than hell. Where that got started is the fact that the Bible teaches us that at one point we're either going to have life eternal or death eternal. That there will be a place of existence somehow where God is not glorified in the way that we worship Him, but He's glorified in another way where He's separated eternally from those who reject Him. And we refer to this place as hell or the second death. Being part of God's kingdom isn't an automated process. It's something that we have to choose to be part of. Somehow God's Spirit moves and He... He initiates the process and He draws us to Him. But somehow there's this divine responsibility on our part. Are we going to choose to worship Jesus and acknowledge Him? Or are we going to be our own God? That's basically the choice we have. Adam and Eve, it goes back to the story of the garden. When it all began, they decided... Amongst themselves, that they did not trust God and they wanted to be their own God. They wanted to be their own authority. Even though they did nothing to, to initiate and to begin their life, they decided they wanted to be the Lords of their lives. And you and I struggle with this same problem. We struggle with it all the time. It's a struggle to live as a Christian, it's a struggle to live with the heavenly purposes on our mind when we live in a, a world where it's so easy to compromise. Before we can dwell with God in the new heaven and new earth, we have to be transformed. We have to be so transformed that we have to become worthy enough to be able to be in His presence. Something has to happen for us to be transformed to where we are acceptable to God. We have to be perfect, pure, holy. Otherwise, His glory and His perfection will destroy us higher and far greater than we are. Nothing we can do can get us to that level. In order for us to be able to be in His presence, God has to make a move toward us. We can't make the first move toward Him. We could never work our way up to be like Him. Instead, what we need is for God to rescue us. We need Him to look upon us with mercy. We need Him to redeem us. We need Him to cleanse us, to wipe away our sin. We need Him to save us. And with such a great need, an impossible need for us, at this point, enter Jesus. In the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it talks about the word. Logos is the word used in in Greek, and, and it's speaking... Poetically and powerfully of Christ, the person. And in chapter 1, verse 14 of that gospel, we see Jesus enter into our story. And in verse 14 and following, it says, And the word, which is speaking of Christ, and the word became flesh. And what's that word? And dwelt among us. You see, remember earlier, keep that scripture up. When Earlier it said, in in the new heaven and new earth, God is going to dwell with us, right? He's going to dwell among us. Well, this is what Jesus has already been doing. He became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John John the Baptist testified about Jesus and cried out saying, This, this Jesus was, was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher ranking than I. For He existed before me. For of His fullness, the fullness of Christ... We have all received. We've received from his fullness and grace upon grace. So basically there's grace and then you heap one grace and then there's more grace. And then we add some sin over here but God throws some grace on it, right? It's just grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time The only begotten God who is is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. We have a picture of who God is when we see Christ. That is the heart of God. We needed someone to rescue us, and so God sent His only Son into a world that didn't want Him, And didn't welcome him. We don't really want you, but God made the move and he dwelt among us. Jesus left the realm of heaven. Heaven is where God's will is fully being done, where God is in full reign. He left all of that where God's fullness is and he entered into a world that didn't know him, that didn't recognize him, that didn't value him or even understand his identity and who he was. He gave up everything He had. He gave up all His inheritance so that He could share it with us. He shares the priceless inheritance of heaven with those who don't deserve it. Sometimes in life we have people that are, are, you know what a leech is, right? If you go swimming in a pond or a lake and a leech is a disgusting type creature that latches onto your skin and just sucks the blood out of your body, it's disgusting. They just take and take and take and take. You ever had people that are like that in your life? They're kind of like leeches. You feel like every time you're around, they're just like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I think that was basically how we were with Jesus when he was on earth. Like, what can you give me? What can you give me, give me, give me, give me, give me? We didn't appreciate him. I wonder if God feels that way a lot of times, too, that we we go to him because we want things, but we really just don't want to be with him. How many times in our prayer lives, and this is meant to convict you or encourage you, if you're doing well in it, it'll encourage you. But for me, it's convicting because the majority of my prayer life is me going to God asking for things. Very little of my prayer life, if you broke it down to percentage, is just going to God and just basking in His presence. Like, Father, I am just aware in this moment I am in Your presence, and it is good to be with You. Dwelling with God. He gave up everything that He had. Jesus gave up everything He had to give everything to us who don't deserve it. Why? Why? Because God loves you. That's why. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, only Son. And whoever believes and trusts in Him will not have eternal death, but will have everlasting life. God loves you. Life everlasting means living with God. The good news is that is going to be in fullness one day when the new heaven and new earth are created by God. When he transforms it, it's going to be amazing. The better news is this. I have better news than the new heaven and new earth. You ready? Here's better news right now. You don't have to wait until then to live with God right now. We are invited to live in his kingdom right now. And it is a precious opportunity for us to choose with all of our being to live with him, to pray with him, to spend time with him, and realize that what we have most precious in our relationship with God is not the things that he brings, it's not the inheritance, it's not the life, it's not these things that are so valuable, important, and things we need, but the most precious thing we have is him, is that we have him, the ear of the creator, we have him, his heart, his affection. He loves us. He's a good father. And we are changed, not because of us becoming more like him according to our works, but we are changed because we become his child. And that's who we are, which is a great song, by the way, great choice for this week. He's a good father. Uh, You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. So who are you? That's your identity you were searching for, Angela, earlier. Your identity is you are loved by God. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. Eternal life. Life everlasting means living with God. It's not just a place you go. It's not just something to hope for in the future. But it's where his new heaven and new earth reign together. Life everlasting. No more sickness. No more death. No more evil. Nothing bad. All good. And it starts not just then, which it will, but it also has already started. Jesus is the prototype. And one day we are going to be fully involved in this. Choose today to live with God. Don't wait for then, but choose now. I'll close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that you give to us of a new heaven and new earth. Thank you for the hope that it brings. Thank you that we know that whatever it is that is uh, distracting us from you in this moment, whatever it is that's causing us not to be part of your uh, fullness in in worshiping you. God, one day that will be taken away. But in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would give your spirit in abundance to your church, that we would would worship you in full, that we would desire to spend time with you, that we would dwell with you, we would live with you right now and not just then. In Jesus' name, amen.